Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the McCarthy Project live from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we have been attacking life and sport since 2001. Well, good afternoon. This is Stephen McCarthy from the McCarthy Project, and we are coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And today we are going to be discussing the subject of game day strategies. Uh, what are they? Uh, what are some of the things that you can do as an athlete in the world of beach volleyball uh, to actually create the environment and uh, to create the environment that will allow you to accomplish the goals and, and dreams that you have put out for yourself? And I think you'll be quite excited. We taped these interviews actually earlier today uh, with Beth Van Fleet of Georgia State and then Wayne Hawley of Tulane. Um, I think you'll be excited to find out that there are things that you can do that are not um, rocket science, uh, but they have a lot of complexity to them, and that you can do them during the week so that when you show up on game day that you are prepared to play at your absolute best. And I think one of the things that was said um, actually in the interview with uh, Beth, uh, she said um, athletes have a lot of times when they go into game day try to rise to their expectations but end up falling to their level of training. And um, that speaks directly to this idea of preparing during the week and then accomplishing um, your goals and your dreams on game day because you put the work in during the week. So with that being said, we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be back uh, with Beth Fleet of Georgia State, and then following with Wayne Holley from Tulane. Good afternoon. This is Stephen McCarthy from the McCarthy Project, and we have been discussing this idea of game day strategies. I have the honor of having Beth uh, Van Fleet from Georgia State uh, coming on the uh, show today to kind of add more, uh, I guess, more color to the discussion and what she sees, you know, as a Division One coach and when she sees athletes come into um, her program, what are the things that she, you know, would really like to see athletes understand at a higher level. Um, so how are you doing today, Beth? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I, the honor is mine. And so I, uh, I do appreciate that. I appreciate your time. And um, so let's just kind of move a little bit because I know that um, you've had some recent success, you know, at Georgia State. Uh, congratulations. And kind of give us your background a little bit before we get started into the, the question of game day strategy. Sure. So, First of all, thanks for uh, keeping up with Georgia State Beach Volleyball. We have been working really hard here for the last five years to build a successful, healthy culture for our team. We are getting ready to start our fifth season here, our our fifth year as uh, GSU Beach Volleyball. And last year we graduated our inaugural class freshmen, so we're kind of starting over our next chapter here moving forward. Um, But I guess in order to get here, my background um, is, I guess it's kind of simple and some, I don't know, interesting and boring at the same time, but I actually was able to play here uh, on the indoor team a couple years ago, and uh, I had the opportunity to play with a girl who grew up playing beach volleyball, and so once we graduated, she and I moved uh, to California to see if we could qualify into the Pro Tour, which is the AVP, and um got out there and realized that beach volleyball was nothing like the indoor game that we knew. So we played a lot of indoor volleyball in the sand um, until we were able to connect with some pretty incredible coaches and get into some good training groups to really understand 
the key differences between the beach game and the indoor game and how you prepare prepare for them differently and uh, the mental preparation that's required as well as the physical preparation. So after about eight years, I decided that I had spent enough time in California. I loved it. I loved every second of that journey and that time, but I was ready to give myself a new challenge and found out that Georgia State was one of the schools who was looking to add sand volleyball at the time. So reached out to everybody who I knew that was still working in athletics at Georgia State and found a way to get on the radar of the coach who was going to be hiring for the sand volleyball position. So uh, long story short, I, I ended up making it through the interview process and I got a chance to come on board before the program had even started. So I got to learn the NCAA rules and watch other coaches. That took about a year by itself. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got to watch other coaches and, and learn how they uh, planned for practices and how you plan for the process and not just the tournament. Um, and, and really got to learn a lot from some of the other coaches in the department before we started the SAN program in 2012. You know, it's interesting you talk about learning beforehand is that there really are and I hate the word best practices, you know what I mean, uh, or best sure. you know, philosophies to use, but there really are some core things that happen in any program, no matter what sport you're in, whether it's hockey, whether it's beach volleyball or you know, football, there are some core things, some core philosophies um, that can be used, and it, it really is quite fascinating um, to hear you discuss that you actually had a, you actually had a year to – essentially kind of collate all these ideas into one place, correct? Yes, that was that was my intention. And, and I think for the most part I uh, accomplished that. But, yeah, I, I spent a year studying other coaches. Fascinating. Fascinating. That's a whole other discussion of the day. But um, <laughs> so let's move over to uh, um, to what happens. Now, you talk about culture because I think those are things that are even before the game day. Um but say you do have this good culture going, you have, you know, athletes that are working together. What are the things that you do try to teach them that they can do on game day to, to have a successful, uh, let's say, successful tournament? It doesn't mean you have to win every time, but what can you do to create, to create that positive atmosphere or that positive environment on game day? Sure. So one of the things that we talk about are controlling the things that you can control and being aware of the things that you cannot control and really working hard to foster a sense of healthy competition. Uh, an example of that would be when you're playing against another team, you're not wishing for them to make their, to miss their serve or to make an error so that you get a point. You want them to play at their best. So they challenge you to become better so that you have to play at your best level in order to score a point or in order to earn a point. So we really look at those, those two things when we go into competition. So creating some success criteria. Um, you know, lots of times we'll go into matches where, sure, we might be physically outmatched. So how can we create a competitive advantage? Is it going to be our ball control? Is it going to be our communication? Are we going to do a better job of working with the elements? Um, what are the things that we can control on our side of the net that will put us in position to create scoring opportunities? And, and within a game, there's so many opportunities to, to fail and succeed. And so quite often we will play small games within a game. So can you win your side change? Uh, in beach volleyball, we change sides of the net every seven points so that we neutralize the advantages or disadvantages of the elements. If it's windy or sunny and, we want to make sure that every time we change sides, we're winning the uh, we're winning that battle. So can we win four points every time we change? Um, when there is a good side and a bad side, maybe you're not trying to win four points. Maybe earning two points on the bad side is enough to put you in the advantage when you go back to the good side. So just really having an understanding of what the elements are, what our opponent is presenting us with, with regard to um, threats and opportunities, and, and then what are the things that we can control in those scenarios. Okay, let's just kind of dig down under a couple of things that you just mentioned. Is that sure. that is a very complex strategy that you just 
explained in three and a half minutes, which was fantastic. But how do you start to say you have um, one of the most gifted athletes that has never had to think of any strategies known to mankind (laughs) because they just were that much better than everybody else? And then they come to Georgia State and they say, we want to be great. We want to be an All-American. And how do you start to change and mold that person from really not having to have any of these strategies to now realizing you're the small fish, take that back, yeah, you're the, you're the big fish in the small pond when you're in high school, and now you're the small fish in the big pond. How do you make that transition? Part of making that transition is understanding how you affect the people around you and how they are affected by you and Mm -hmm. how you can contribute to the team's growth. Um, You know, one of those things, there's certainly players who are more cerebral than others, and sometimes you'll see the most gifted athletes have a really difficult time when you're starting to ask them to be present in the moment and, and consider what's going on in the game as opposed to just reacting. But But a lot of that transition starts with understanding that it's a process and that at practice, um, if we practice five days a week as a coach, I might want you to leave two or three of those days of practice feeling pretty down, feeling a little frustrated, feeling a little bit discouraged, certainly not deflated, but not like you're sitting on top of the world because quite often it's those feelings of, frustration that creates the fuel for you to come back the next day and do it better. And oftentimes when we're improving on a skill or we're really working on technique, we do become frustrated because it's not easy for us. And, and I think for some of those athletes who are incredibly gifted at the high school level, that's certainly a struggle for them coming into their freshman year as a collegiate athlete to understand that you can still grow and you can still improve, but in order to do that, you're going to have doubt. And in a lot of cases, these kids haven't really had doubt before. <laughs> it's interesting when you talk about because you're talking literally about the mind. You're not talking yeah. about a physical, you know, attribute. You know, even if you're a very, you know, like you mentioned, a cerebral athlete, cerebral athlete, even they go into a situation where they think they can – I mean, the people that are really smart sometimes, you know, really are yeah. quite overconfident because they think they're so smart. You know what I mean? Sure. And yeah, how absolutely. do you essentially you, – what you just talked about is how to bring them down, create a little doubt in their mind so they have to come back so the challenge stays. But on the other hand, the athlete that can just do it all now is challenged in general because they are like, holy crap, I didn't even know I had to think about that. There's there's a lot of light bulb moments. And I think with beach volleyball specifically, it's there's nothing complex about it. It's bump, set, spike, dig, block, serve. Like there's not a whole lot of high level plays that we can run. There's only two people on the court. There's not a lot of deception. Sure we can get a little bit creative in our defensive systems and our offensive systems. But that's, again, when we're asking some of those pure athletes to be a little bit more cerebral. And that's oftentimes where we create that discomfort. Fascinating. Because one of the things that I enjoy the most about beach is that it is uh, uh, the athletes are essentially going against the other athletes, and it's their ability for that one-on-one interaction rather Mm -hmm. than like the indoor game, which is much more coach-based, and strategy-based, you know, hey, I'm, I'm running XYZ offense or, you know, that type of thing. Um, sure. I'm going to take a little bit tack differently. What really made you excited? Because you have already mentioned a couple of really complex ideas, but then you say the beach game is a very simple game. How do you mm-hmm. marry those two together in yourself? The beach game is entirely revealing and exposing And you have to be resilient in order to feel success in this game. Um, I was actually just having a conversation with one of my coworkers earlier today, and I think the discussion was based on, I don't think there's anybody else in our department who has lost as much as I have in actually playing the sport that we coach. 
Um, and, and that's what beats <laughs> – it's a great stat, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but, uh, but if you knew my story, you would know that I have failed and success, you know, succeeded four <laughs> times in business. And it's really quite amazing because I have a, a friend of mine that is a CFO of some big corporation. And he, mm-hmm. one time we were sharing stories about my travails. He goes, you know what, Stephen, I really do enjoy your lifestyle. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, um, I just told you I failed and succeeded four times. And he's like, no, you were in the game risking things. I've just basically done the same thing my whole life. I'm like, yeah. oh. Yeah, you know, so there is we a do lot a little variety. But yeah. I think, you know, um, one of my – one of my old partners um, in when I was playing on the tour, she used to always say to me, you know the method or you know the madness. And I think that that's what this sport kind of, it borders that line, that it can make you crazy or you can see it very simple and very clearly. And it really all is based on how you approach it and how you handle stress in the moment of competition. Hmm. That is fascinating. Um, all right, so let's go back to the cerebral athlete. We mentioned the question about, okay, uh, we want to create doubt. But sure. if you could create too much doubt in somebody that is really smart, uh, they will get very frustrated really fast. And so yeah, how do you kind of deal with the, the bottom side of a really confident person, let's say? <laughs> You know, I think um, I think that that's that's a mastery skill that, as a coach, I have still not figured out. Um, something that I'm certainly working towards, but I, I do think it's there's there's a level of comfort and a level um, of closeness that you have with each of the athletes on the team, and it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly which athletes need to be challenged and with which athletes need to sometimes be nurtured. Um, and, and it's not always 100% of one or the other. You have to blend the two. But mm-hmm. um, certainly I have found with the cerebral athletes, more often than not, they need to be encouraged a little bit more than challenged. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because if you get them so distraught and thinking that they don't know what they're doing, they will go to a big, well, the lack of a big pile, you know, if you will, pretty quickly yeah, they because kind they of- don't think they're smart anymore. Yeah, they almost um, short circuit, you know, and not all of them. Yeah. It's not a, a not a general thing, but it's almost a, you know, the term analysis paralysis. They'll they'll continue to find, you know, try to find an answer, try to find a solution, rather than just allowing themselves to play. And so it's kind of the it's almost the exact opposite approach of someone who is purely physical, um, where you can give them a lot of physical challenges. With the, with the mental uh, cerebral athlete, it's much more of talking through a scenario or a situation or, or a particular skill that they're struggling with and then saying, hey, get out on the court and do it five times and let's not talk about it and figure out what you can learn and then we'll talk after the five reps or, you know, something something in that regard. Fascinating. All right, so let's come back to the beginning um, in the idea of game day strategy. So we've talked a little bit about that complex, you know, how do you control what you can control. Um, but are there any other things like have you that you've kind of found are like common mistakes that young people make? Yes, um, common mistakes that young people make um, would include thinking that you're going to show up for game day and you're going to rise to your expectations. There's a great quote that says, um, "In competition, we don't." rise to our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. And for so many athletes who love competing, they don't necessarily spend the time in the training process of polishing the skills um, and preparing in that regard physically for the game. But at the same time, this sport in competition is incredibly grueling. You'll talk to high school athletes um, who, you know, in one day, They'll be out in the sun from 7 in the morning until it sets at night, and they're playing anywhere from three to six matches in a day. It can be a, an insane amount of volleyball in one day. And so 
two of the biggest strategies that you need to have for game day are your hydration and your, nutri your nutrition strategies and making sure that you're fueling the body and you're keeping the body hydrated so that it can perform at its optimal level. Um, but most of the work, honestly, in this sport, because it's so player-driven, most of, most of the game day strategy is to do the work in practice and, and to be prepared from practice so that you know how to communicate with your partner. You know how to give and receive criticism um, in, a, in an encouraging and supportive way so that you can go on to be successful in the next point as opposed to failing in the next point. Um, you know, there's lots of ways that people will scout their opponents throughout the day, um, watching film, um, and then also being aware of the elements. So the wind is always going to change a strategy. The sun can oftentimes play a role in de developing a strategy. So some of those things with the elements, that's going to be a game day decision. You won't know what the wind's going to do until you get to the tournament. And quite honestly, it can change multiple times throughout the day. So your wind strategy is constantly adjusting to the, to the moment. Um, but a lot of those other things with just being prepared with uh, communication styles, making eye contact with your partner, having some of those things in your back pocket and having them figured out before you get to the tournament is very, very effective uh, once you're there. Dang, you've got some really, it's, it's, and, I'm, and when I say dang, I was like, you probably, I've, and, I, and this is, I might be blown, I mean, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm blowing smoke, but it, I'm telling you, you very much have ability to, to explain complex thoughts. I'm fascinated that your players can actually take this in and start to process this and get this moving forward. This is quite fascinating from that standpoint. Thank you. Yeah, no, we, yeah, I mean, we definitely, we work very hard together. Um, you, you have to have tough skin to to be in this program, but um, and a and a pretty high work ethic. But it is it's that's what every college team is. It's um it's a pack that is working hard towards the same goals, and we all have to understand what it is that we're each trying to achieve. Yes, and see, the thing that's interesting, and the reason um, I see a big trend towards what I call the power tripping coaches, you know, where you know they're you know they're the they're the hub and you're the spokes you know this kind of thing and you know and it really does uh, agitate me you know because <laughs> there is no teaching in that you know what I mean it's pretty much right. just go out there and kill them you know what I mean and I'm telling yeah. you to yeah and it, it takes a lot of work to do what you're doing but it, it's so much more enjoyable for the athletes to get into a program like this that will allow them to develop their own personality and their own interpretations of what you're saying and work it out as a human being rather than be just a spoke in the process. Yes, yes. And I think that beach volleyball as a sport lends itself to that type of culture for a team just because we have five pairs who are, for, at the collegiate level, we have five pairs that are competing sometimes all at once, and the maximum number of coaches that you can have on your staff is three. So in that scenario, you have two pairs who have to be able to take ownership of their match and problem solve, sometimes against a pair who has a coach. And so it's advantageous, certainly, for all of us coaches to empower our athletes um, to, to have those conversations and, and to understand how much ownership they have in their game. Cool. Well, I know we had talked about limiting the time, but we've already – Hit the end. Um, I wish I, uh, I sometimes I wish we, these interviews could go on for a long time because I, I to explore all the different avenues of developing. I think we come back full circle back to the culture. You mm -hmm. really feel that that culture that you created during the week prepares the athletes for the game day or tournament day, whatever you want to name it, and then they're able to actually apply what they've learned. They come back, they reassess, and, and you go after it again the next week. It's just Absolutely. beautiful to hear, I, I have to admit. So, <laughs> Thank you. I, yes, yes. I, um, like I mentioned, I'm, uh, I'm very disappointed. I think Bobby Knight ruined a whole generation of coaches in many sports um, with him throwing his chairs and yelling at everybody and thawing that was cool, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah. anyways, uh, if anybody would like to get a hold of you, where can they get a hold of you? 
Um, you can anybody can reach out to us on um, Instagram or Twitter, or Facebook. It's GSU Beach VB, um, and most of those or GSU Beach Volleyball. I think is Facebook. So um, also our GeorgiaStateSports.com is our website, and uh, they can find us there. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. I enjoyed the uh, the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate the conversation. Have a great day. You too. This is Stephen McCarthy, and we're back after discussing the concept of game day strategies and uh, I have Wayne Hawley of Tulane University uh, with me on the line, and he's been gracious enough to uh, spend the uh, half hour or so with us to talk about the subject of game day strategies. How are you doing, Wayne? Fantastic. How's everything with you? Uh, doing well. Doing well. I will do my best to stay on task today. Um, okay. <laughs> well, and, I'm sure we uh, keep each other in check. I know exactly, but uh, you were talking out there about your fancy schedule, which for a guy from Minnesota is a little bit jealous because if you could let our listeners know where you've been over the last two, three months, it would be great for them to hear what a college coach might be able to do in the summertime. Uh, Wow, it was a whirlwind, but uh, yeah, I was very lucky. uh, After the Beach Nationals in May, I, I was able to get out to California uh, late May, early June, to do our recruiting. And then um, I also spent uh, about a month and a half out there coaching with USA Volleyball. I was coaching with one of our one of our junior national teams in the younger age groups. And so we, we spent about three and a half weeks training out in Hermosa Beach, and that was just, you know, just fantastic, obviously, being able to work with those athletes. And, and then in between uh, that recruiting and occasional trips to – you know, around the country to Florida and uh, one up to New Jersey to do some recruiting, but never far from the beach. And uh, I uh, got out there last week, spent another week out there, and I just flew back to New Orleans last night. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind, and uh, I I can't imagine I have uh, very many sympathetic uh, listeners. So uh, I'm I'm grateful for it. I'll make that clear that I'm happy for the travel. <laughs> and um yeah, burned through a lot of sunblock this summer, that's for sure. That's right. That's right. You uh, <laughs> have had to put sunblock on your lips, I'm sure, because they got sunburned sooner or later you know, for being out there so long. And you <laughs> yeah, had to endure so the pain of having your lips sunburned or something like this, right? Yeah, and I will not complain one bit about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because it's a. Uh, yeah, we'll move on from that subject, but nonetheless, I uh, do thank you for taking the time today. I am always have looked forward to chatting uh, with you. I know we've spent uh, one long evening in May. Actually, what was the name of the restaurant? We'll give the restaurant a little plug. What is the name of that restaurant we went to? Wow, what was it? It was in Gulf Shores, Alabama. I don't remember the name of it now. Yes, but, it but was you were gracious enough then to sit down and answer all my questions related to beach volleyball, and I do thank you for that. Um, <laughs> so that, now off to game day strategies. And one of the things I think that's beautiful, and I'm going to um, kind of go over your bio a little bit so that you don't have to uh, take the time, but basically you started a club in Connecticut, um, um, and then moved on to the college ranks from there, and then have been at Tulane for a while and worked with Team USA uh, over that same period. And I think one of the things that I, I think that's unique is that you have seen each one of the levels you know, of athletes and what it takes to play at the highest level. And so if you could kind of in general just give us a, you know, just an overview of what list of things that you would say, if I want an athlete to go into that tournament day or game day to be ready, what should they be prepared for? Well, you know, it's a great, great question. And as I was thinking, your your point is a good one that insofar as I've been fortunate to see uh, 
a variety of levels of volleyball and um, you know some of the things that stand out for me on game day I think and these apply whether it's whether it's intermediate whether it's advanced whether it's young whether it's old and I think um, the first thing that I think are are the best athletes are going to recognize on game day is that um, from a skill perspective you kind of are what you are at that point so um, you know, I, I, I think that you want to reduce your focus on kind of skills and, you know, and, and things like that on game day. I think, um, one of the most important things athletes are going to try to do on that day is really reduce, uh, distractions. Um, they're going to try to, uh, manage whatever pressures they're feeling and, um, engage in some kind of uh, what, what the experts might call arousal control, and that's just managing uh, those highs and lows, managing the anxiety that you're feeling before the match, um, and um, how can I stay focused on the things that I can control, and how can I identify and reduce the impact of distractions on game day. That, to me, whether you're a beginner or you're a veteran, is really one of the great secrets to having a great performance on game day. The thing that you mentioned is the um, idea of control, you know, and this idea of perfection, you know what I mean? And uh, they are not tied together, you know, if you will. This idea of playing a perfect game or playing a perfect match is almost theoretically impossible. And then this idea of being in the control of things that you can control how do you marry those two things together when you're trying to control all these pieces to the puzzle but and you're trying to attain this level of perfection and play a great match? There seems to be a disconnect. How do you kind of put the, the color in between those things? Well, you know, I think what it is, it's about the mindset. I think it's by the time you're going into the match, hopefully the players, and, and, and certainly from a coaching standpoint, I, uh, we're trying to, help the players to understand that playing perfectly is, is, is one, not going to happen, and two, shouldn't be the goal. Um, that's not part of the conversation. Um, and related to that, often what athletes are doing is they're, they're worrying about winning and losing. And, and that, to me, is a, an extremely common uh, reaction, both from players and coaches. So I think some of the best players who perform well on game day are players who are kind of they've identified something that's more uniquely in their control as their goal for the day than playing perfectly or even winning and losing. And that may seem odd, uh, you know, particularly for, uh, you know, at, 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 you know, for team USA to think that way or for, uh, you know, division one athletes to think that way. But really when we think about the ultimate preparation is to be focused on what I can control. And when we think about, um, winning and losing really to some measure that's in your control, but there are things that are going to impact winning and losing that are outside of your control. There's going to be uh, weather-related factors. There's going to be uh, officials' calls. There's going to be how well your opponent plays. And those things sometimes are going to dictate whether you won or lost, and they're going to be completely outside of your control. And so what we really try to do, I think, and what the best players are doing is focusing on something that is exclusively within their control and not simply the result of the match, not just winning and losing. Um, and that's an extremely hard thing to do because my sense is um, that one of the greatest, I mean, when athletes go to compete, you know, what are they doing? What, any athlete who goes to compete, is really risking something. They're really risking losing. They're risking that feeling of disappointment. They're risking perhaps looking foolish. Um, they're risking that feeling that comes with losing after so heavily investing in the performance. And so uh, if we can get the athlete away from thinking about the competition as risking losing and thinking about the competition more as uh, an opportunity to uh, improve from whatever the result is, then I think we're exclusively now focused on our own mindset and something that's totally within our control because we can grow from a win or we can grow from a loss in the same way. And I think 
if we can get that mindset to that place, then I think we reduce a lot of the pressure that we have going into a match. Very cool. Let's let's. I'm gonna take a little different tangent, and and um, one of the things that you shared with me as well, and the idea of under this idea of what you can control, and a lot of athletes would define okay, they can control their technique, or they can control how they hit the ball, or something uh, on this angle. All right, uh, when we've been talking about this idea of control, and so under the idea of control, could you name things? that athletes are firmly in their control. Oh, sure. I mean, one of the, you know, uh, there's a whole list of things that we would want our athletes to think about, and, and, and among among them are their own mindset. Um, how do they see the competition? Do they see it as an opportunity? Do they see competition as a threat? So our own mindset is, is exclusively within our own control. Um, what kind of energy we're bringing to the day, to the match, um, after the match. Uh, that's exclusively within our control. It doesn't matter who we play. That's totally up to us. Um, our effort during the match. Um, are we uh, you know, committing ourselves to our best performance on every single play? It doesn't matter who we play. That's totally within our control. Um, uh, our attitude uh, and our positivity toward our partner. Um, you know, one of the roles that we have on the team for every player is to draw the best out of your own partner, and that's exclusively out of your control um, because we certainly know our opponent is not going to do that. Um, so that's just a, a quick list of, the, say, the top four that we like to think about a lot um, and that we want our athletes to think about. We're in control of these things, and if we do these to the best of our ability today, then we're probably not going to have to get worried about a result because we're going to probably be all right. You know, and this, you lead to a lot of these positions where athletes have talked about the work that they've put in, you know, and this effort and this mindset that they've developed. It really is, it may not be a physical thing that you can see, but it is something that can move you way far ahead of other competitions when you see things that other athletes don't. You know what I mean? And just just by the natural occurrences of having those thoughts, you're moving faster than everybody else. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, our own preparation, frankly, is another one. Uh, you know, you talked about yes. preparation. You talked about seeing things that others don't. Well, you know, that's another thing that is completely and exclusively within our control. How did we prepare for the match? Um, you know, how well do we know um, – what our opponent is likely to do. Um, do we know our own strengths and weaknesses? Do we know those of the opponents? So I think that's another is our own effort in preparing is certainly going to prepare us to do better on game day. No question about that. Yeah, and it's, and it's funny because I'm just thinking of a, a certain match, um, you know, in the you know, with Kerry Walsh and April Ross. Uh, I don't know which Australian team that they were playing. Um, I think it was the one that they were playing earlier in the in the in the tournament, if you will. But it was you could see that they were reacting to things that weren't happening. I'm talking about the Australian team, and it was like Kerry and April knew exactly where the ball should go, and the other team would take one step that way, and then they'd hit it the other way. How do you kind of let's do it from two different ways? We have the athlete that's overthinking things and putting themselves out of position. And you have somebody that's so far in advance that they're actually able to do things that people are not expecting. How do you how do you develop both? How do you stop one and develop the other? Oh, it's wow! What a great question, and we we only have twenty minutes. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's a it's, what a fantastic question. Um, you know, one of the things that I think coaches and players talk a lot about in this terms of preparation and we, you know, prepare scouting reports. And the idea is that, well, this is going to help us in the game to anticipate um, things that our opponent is going to do. And therefore we'll be in a better position to perform well against them. And yet frequently you get into matches and that scouting report is good and the opponent performs the way you expected and things go great. Well, I think just as, just as commonly, the scouting report turns out to be worthless 
and you find that about about three minutes in, you know, okay, this is not exactly what we've seen before. And at that point, you have two, you have a couple of different types of players, and, and and they become these type based on what kind of training they've had. Is you have the player who stays married to the scouting report, and they've prepared well, and they said, well, this is what we're expecting to see, and this is supposed to happen, and they're going to keep playing that way. And they're not going to be able to keep up with a team that makes the adjustment off the scouting report. And then you have a, type, a player or a team that is quite different and, and is able to stand, well, that scouting report is in the trash. And now we have to figure out in our sport on each side change, say, every two, three, four, five points, we have to figure out what's happening today. What, what, is, what are they likely to do on the next play today and not what were, you know, what did we think they were going to do from last week or the month before? So it's, it's the players who get married to too heavy preparation and reliance on scouting reports is going to become handicapped in a match, whereas players who are able to put that scouting report aside and learn immediately in-game, hey, this is what they're doing today, and here's the adjustments we need to make on our own, those players and those teams are just going to be playing at a much higher level. And, um, boy, you just see it. You, you see it all, all, all at every level. You see those types of players. A fantastic question. Well, and see, the thing that's interesting about it, and I really think that it's almost like uh, with young people, you know, there's been so many movies like Moneyball and all these, you know, well, we're going to go by the computer. The computer says 74% of the time you win. You know what I mean? And I can distinctly remember, I remember thinking this because the Minnesota Vikings were up 24 to nothing uh, football team. Um, and they had two returns of touchdown or like punt returns. And they said, there's a 99.9% chance that we're going to win the game today because every time people have returned two touchdowns in a game, the team wins, right? Well, guess right. what we think happened that day? We lost. Well, 1%. <laughs> so how do you – see, this is the thing that I've always tried to reconcile in my own mind is that you have this idea of the competitive cauldron and – predicting results and doing all these pieces, but then you also have the theory of randomness. How do you marry those two? Um, short answer, I don't know yet. Um, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, what you, you, what you said makes me, you know, it, this topic is such a great one. It's so rich with, with real practical things that coaches and players see on the court every day. Um, yes. You know, and, and I think that, you know, something I, I might have added before is some some players are better off. Uh, we find out some players are better off not knowing a scouting report. Um, and <laughs> sometimes sometimes they know that about themselves. I mean, in my experience, I've had players that I recognized were just better. They played more freely. They played more loosely and they just let the game come to them. And they became and they were better learners within the game without a scouting report because that scouting report sometimes prevents them from being learners in the game. And I've had players who recognize that about themselves and said, Wayne, listen, you know, are you open to the possibility that I don't want to see this report and I'm going to be playing better without it? And so as a coach, you need to be cognizant of, of, you know, what does this player need and how does this player perform well? And other times you're going to, you know, a coach might say, you know, in a money ball situation or highly statistical, all this stuff that people are able to do with film, I think it's important for a coach sometimes to recognize when does the player when do the players need all of this information and when should I just use the information as a coach to to run my practices and design my practices all week but they don't need to know all of this information um, and I, I know myself I've done it both ways uh, sometimes we've presented the information to the players but other times we've just I've just used it uh, to structure the practices and run certain things during the week knowing that uh, that was what was best to prepare them. And they don't need to know why I'm running the practice this way because the numbers are just going to get in the way of them being a good learner. Um, And then, of course, you have layer three, as you said in your question, which is, hey, no matter how much we prepare, no matter how great we are at learning in the game, sometimes there's this element of randomness that just pops up and it, it is real and it scores points against us, and sometimes it's ultimately um, why we may have won or lost a match. I mean, we have, you can have a player who uses phenomenal technique and 
throws up a, a, a toss and uses a great approach and jump serves wonderfully and hits the heck out of the ball. And it just scrapes the inside of the antenna and point to the other team. But everything was done right because the wind blew the ball. And you can have the same player use kind of weird technique or poor technique or not get her feet to the ball and jump and hit the ball off her elbow and have it hit the tape and dribble over for a point. Well, you know, good technique gets you nowhere and the bore technique and the randomness gets you a point. So um, that's an important, I think, mental element for the players to understand too, which is, did we do everything that we could control? Did we prepare well? Was our attitude great? Was our effort tremendous? Were we a great teammate? And if we did all of those things, then we we have to live with the result. And that's because sometimes the other team is really good. And most of the time they're really good. And we like to play really good teams. And there's an element of randomness in the game. And sometimes the wind blows the ball out of bounds and I did everything right. And sometimes I hit it off my elbow and I score and I did everything wrong. And... <laughs> Uh, I just have to get to a point where I have to live with the result as long as I did everything that I could within my control. And I think that that's a lifelong process. I don't think we ever quite get there, to be honest with you. Because the more that you put this into perspective and you try to work with these principles, the more I have realized that really it is something that can't be, you know, turned on or turned off. Because it, it creates a environment where you're aware of more things, but you have to be just okay in that day to go to practice and enjoy it. And you can't, you know, basically, um, what's the word I'm looking for, where you're just going to just, I have a hammer and I'm going to hit this practice so stinking hard and so perfectly square, it's going to be absolutely amazingly great. And when it doesn't hit the nail properly, you just sit there and you fall off and you think the world's coming to an end because you didn't do right and you didn't do good. And, and it really puts you in a difficult position when you're not aware of all these different pieces. Uh, so right. And, and ultimately, I, uh, you know, it, we always come back to this mindset. If, 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 if we get off of this idea that the result is what matters, um, and we start to get on to the idea that the things I can control are what matters, then we, I think what we'll find is we'll have less of those days where we feel like everything went wrong. Um, you know, um, sometimes we say, hey, you know, don't let a bad practice, uh, you know, mean it's a bad day, you know. Um, no matter what we do, sometimes we're going to have bad practices. Um and we have to be okay with that. And that's hard to do because there are uh, a lot of tremendous, tremendous women athletes in this game and men as well at the Olympic level, at the Division One level. And a lot of those people got there because they strive for excellence and they strive for perfection. And, and it's difficult to accept the fact that some days you're not going to have it. Um, and uh, it's just, you know, if, if, Sometimes what we try to do is we, well, we certainly do it every year, but we try to get the players to understand why are we here? What's my why? Am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? And if we can identify a purpose that's outside of winning and losing, and perhaps even better if we can identify a purpose that's outside of ourselves, something greater than just hitting the ball back and forth over a net and winning and losing, then that, that confidence in our why allows us to, get past those days when we didn't win and get past those days when we didn't perform great. Um, and as I said, it's, it's, it's easy to state that that's where we're trying to go. And it's very, very difficult to make the journey there. Yes. And I would actually just jump on board one more time. Hey, do you remember the movie blind spot with uh, Michael Orr, the offensive lineman for uh, the Baltimore Ravens? Do you remember wow. the, 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 Huh? I don't think I've seen that. Oh, uh, it's a classic movie because it's a football movie, and the guy uh, Michael Orr is is an offensive lineman. He's huge, okay, and then the mom is watching practice, and he and he can't block anybody, even though he's ten times more athletic and and huge. Right. But she finally gets mad and walks out to Michael Orr, the offensive lineman, and says, "Michael, this is your brother." And he's at risk. You need to stop the person from getting him. 
And yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden he goes off and he just crushes everybody because he's not going to let his little brother get hurt. You know what I mean? Right. And then right. he walks over to the coach and says, Coach, if you would just take time to analyze your players, you'd have much better results. And then she walks off the field. It's just classic. But that's exactly what you're describing is that you need to find what motivates that particular player. It may not be winning or losing. It may be that I'm going to protect this so that these other players can win. You know, it's that, it's that type of uh, thought process. Well, uh, I'm going to watch that movie. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> and, and that's it. That, that's exactly it. It's 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 individual basis and it's team basis. I think that teams as a unit should should understand what they're why they're doing these things and and have some purpose. And I think each individual, no question, has our own. We all have our own individual motivations. And um, I think the 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 best coaches, the ones that we all aspire to be, are the ones who take the time to understand that. You know, X's and O's are important, but but reaching each individual on the team on a personal level and understanding her well enough to know um, what can I do to give her that boost on any given day to help motivate her, yeah. given, given her life experience, given everything that's come before this day, um, when yeah. we take the time to do that, um, then we're better for our players. Absolutely no question about it. Done. All righty. Well, as always, Wayne, we could probably talk for hours. I'm thinking that's just the nature of the beast. But I've only asked for a half an hour, and uh, I've exceeded that time. So I want to just thank you again for investing the time in in, in myself, and and I thank you for the time spent. You know, uh, I really do appreciate it. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. I wish we had more time. It's always a pleasure. It's a great game. And uh, I think if you didn't cut us off, we'd end up staying here all day anyway. So. <laughs> exactly. All righty. Well, thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate it. Um, again, if you'd like to work with people, get a hold of Tulane University if they're interested in, in maybe getting information to you. Uh, well, they can email me directly, uh, Dwayne Holly, and it's uh, W-H-O-L-L-Y at Tulane.edu, and, uh, or to, uh, they can email us at, uh, uh, or they can reach our website, which is uh, Tulane Athletics. So those are the best ways to get a hold of us. Or, or there's one other place. You can go to Hermosa Beach during <laughs> June and July next year. And, uh, yeah, just uh, anywhere right around 16th Street, you'll probably find me. (laughs) All right, Wayne. I do appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me.